the unofficial Bengals podcast. Welcome to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to go over some Bengals headlines. Draft expert and sports journalist Blake Jewell is going to stop by to talk about the Bengals draft. And we're also going to have our second edition of the Roundtable featuring Tom McLevy and Sands. The unofficial Bengals podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. Bengals headlines. I really love the new jerseys. Really sleek and modern and cool, just like they described them. Love the black with the orange stripes. You have the Color Rush version, which is our away jersey now. You have the orange jersey. Really cool stuff. It's going to look great on the field. Hopefully there's a few of these hanging in Canton someday. So really good job by the organization. And they did that photo shoot, which was really kind of un-Bengal-like. Again, that Elizabeth Blackburn influence comes in where you have this really modern, high-tech, high-profile, well-promoted photo shoot where they all look like rock stars. So really excellent job by the front office on choosing the jerseys. And I'm sure you guys heard they analyzed the movements of a tiger on the prowl. And that's what they used for the design of the stripes. So really a lot of thought went into this. Couldn't be happier. I'm going to be ordering a number nine in all three colors. I wish they would have had orange pants. It just would have been easy to throw them in. And now you have a couple new variations that could look really cool. But maybe that's something they introduce in another year or two. But either way, no complaints. Excellent job by them on the jerseys. And I don't know if you guys saw on Good Morning Football, Kyle Brandt, really cool guy, good broadcaster. He was flexing the Bengals jersey, and you could tell he he was feeling good about himself. Like, he was so charismatic and a scene stealer in that segment, and it felt like that jersey gave him the confidence to do that. So hopefully it has the same effect on our players on the field, and uh, I can't wait to order mine. All right, so they approved the new number scheme for the NFL. Now, I confess, I'm from New Jersey. I'm not a college football guy. I've, I've told that to you guys before. But when you think about New Jersey, we really didn't have any good football teams for years and years. I know Rutgers kind of got on the map maybe like 10, 12 years ago or so. But aside from that, there's not many in New Jersey or even in like the New York City tri-state area. I mean, there's no University of Brooklyn turning out pro bowlers. But anyway, that takes me to the jerseys. The thing I didn't, I never liked about the college game was the weird numbers. I'm like, wow, there's number seven, he's a linebacker? I always just thought it was a little confusing. I thought it was a little amateur, forgive me, I'm not trying to diss on anything. I always liked the NFL number scheme because it gave you an indication of what position the guy was based on his number. Now, when you bring in this to the NFL now, it's going to help the defenses because they're going to be able to disguise. You're not going to know, is that a linebacker or a safety? You're really going to have to memorize the numbers of players and not just be looking and, you know, you see a guy in the 50s, you know, it's a linebacker now. But now you might have a linebacker bearing down on you wearing number three and, you know, you, you don't even know what position that is. It's going to really make the teams have to study a lot more and be a lot more prepared. And like I said, I think it's going to help the defenses disguise things. So I see the impact of the new number scheme like this. As far as offenses go, it's going to help them off the field because it's going to make defenses have to put extra time into studying, oh, you know, oh, number three is a wide receiver, number two is a running back. It's going to give them a little extra homework. But when you're actually on the field, I think it's going to help the defenses because you're going to be able to disguise blitzers. And, you know, if the quarterback's not really up on who everyone is, he might not know, you know, that's a safety out there covering him, not a linebacker. I think it's going to bring a little confusion to the NFL. It might spice up the games a little bit. I know the players like it because they can retain their college jerseys. So, you know, I respect that. 
And then they have that crazy rule for guys with existing jersey numbers. If you want to switch your number, you have to buy out the inventory. So that's going to discourage a lot of players from switching numbers. And when they first introduced this, I thought they were doing it to sell more jerseys. I didn't realize that they were going to make guys buy their old ones. And, you know, so I guess that's not the motive. I guess it's just to make it more interesting, let the new college guys keep their numbers. And I know that sometimes with these expanded rosters and retired numbers, they're running out of numbers. So I get the whole point behind it. I just like the old number scheme better. Call me old school on that. But, you know, we'll see how it translates to the NFL this year. And we got a couple exciting weeks coming up for the NFL. The draft is a couple days away. I mean, I'm going to be watching literally every minute of it. Every year, I watch every minute of the draft. Call me crazy. Sometimes I'm falling asleep during the last part of it. But when the Bengals pick, it's like a birthday present each time. So really exciting stuff. I'm going to be all over it. After the draft, I'm going to be talking about who they picked and their impact on the roster. And then a couple weeks later, May 12th, I believe, they're releasing the schedule. So that's always exciting, too. You can kind of map out your opponents, how things are going to fall, who you open up with, who you're seeing in cold weather, who you're seeing in warm weather, if there's a bunch of home games in a row, away games, where the bye week is, all exciting stuff. So I'm also going to do an episode on that when it comes out. But regardless of that, I just can't wait for both of these things because, you know, this is like the the starving time, the lean time for football. Ball, there's no games, but you have the draft where you're going to inject your team with eight new players plus all the undrafteds. It's, it's a really good time. You know, lots of roster turnover, fun stuff. And again, that schedule coming out, you start making your predictions. Even though we're all crazy, you can never tell who's going to do what. Yeah, I'm always saying 11 and 5. Now, what am I going to say? 12 and 5, 11 and 6? I'm not sure which. And then Joe Burrow appeared on the Collinsworth podcast. I'm not going to lie, I was jealous. I, I want to get Joe on this show. Um, I can't promise the world that, but I'm going to say that is a big goal of mine to get Joe Burrow on this show. But he, he was fun to listen to on Collinsworth. You know, he's my favorite player. I could listen to him talk all day. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about stories and stuff, not necessarily pertinent stuff for this season. But what I did take away is that Joe Burrow has a lot of respect for Coach Taylor. You know, I guess he views him as a guy that doesn't have an ego, which is a really big thing in the NFL. And that's good that he gets along with him. I mean, you know, they're going to be joined at the hip for at least this season. And it's good that Joe Burrow has respect for his coach. And I think Coach Taylor is good with quarterbacks. You know, he's a good offensive mind. He's creative. He's a great speaker. He's a team guy. He's a motivator. He's not obnoxious. So, you know, a good fit personality-wise with Joe Burrow. So I understand why Joe likes him so much. And then Joe Burrow's smart. He takes the company line. He's saying, I trust the organization's pick out of the big three. I mean, the last thing you would want is your quarterback publicly saying, I want Jamar Chase. That would that would really tip your hand for the draft. So I'm glad that, you know, Joe played it smart there. I suspect that he wants Chase. But if they offered him a top-notch left tackle, how could you complain? Or a generational tight end, you know, multi-level threat? So Joe knows you can't go wrong with any of those three guys. And the other takeaway is he is dead set on starting week one. And I've been on record in the past saying I wish he would take a month off at the beginning of the year, but that's not his mindset. You know, that's not the guy who who participated in the tire drill. That's not the guy who willed himself to a starting team after Ohio State kind of discarded him. That's not a guy who won a, a championship. That's not the guy who was the first pick in the draft. That's not Joe Burrow. So I understand that he wants to start week one. And regardless of my opinions or my thoughts or my worries or my paranoia about it, let's go. Let's have Joe Burrow start week one. Joe, if you're ready, get out there and kill it. And lastly, Mr. Tobin had his press conference. And again, another likable, intelligent guy. You know, he's all about the Bengals. He's done some good things for this organization. 
And, you know, he didn't tip his hand. What Mr. Tobin did say was, we are looking for an elite player. He's not going to trade back, you can tell. But he's going to listen to offers, and we should. You can't just say we're not trading and not listen to anything. There could be some really, really crazy, outrageous offer that could change your, your franchise's fortune. But he's feeling like I'm feeling. You get yourself one really good player rather than three mid-level players. And we have the chance to get what everyone's saying as a generational tight end, a generational tackle, or a generational wide receiver. We're not going to pass up on that. We got our quarterback. We have some dynamite players on this team. Let's add one more really top-notch player. Mr. Tobin also touched on the running backs, and he said Samaj P. Ryan is going to have a more expanded role Uh, possibly on third down as well. And actually, I thought that Travion Williams was going to get the expanded role just based on his body style, and he was more of a geotype. But I understand having Samaje in there as well. And we'll see what the draft brings running back-wise. And then offensive line, he didn't outwardly admit that we had deficiencies there. He didn't tip off where we want to go there. He did say we're going to bring in some players at that position, which, of course, we all know that we need. But he was more focused on five guys staying healthy and getting unity and building throughout the year. And that does make sense, but you have to make sure they're the right five guys. And the last thing was Mr. Tobin also mentioned the health concerns with some of these early draft picks. And a lot of it's just bad luck. You know, Jonah Williams, never injured in college, injured right away in the NFL. And one of my friends on Instagram, Casey Norris, brought up the fact that maybe some of these early season injuries are occurring because we don't have an indoor practice facility. And that's a good point. You know, I, I don't know the correlation. It, it seems like, you know, practicing outside in November in Cincinnati is, is probably not, a, not too comfortable and maybe could lead to some more injuries. But whether that's the case or not, I, I think, you know, we're, we're getting up to speed with the rest of the NFL in all capacities. Elizabeth Blackburn's coming in and giving some modern-day influence Regardless of what's causing the injuries, let's just get on the map and get ourselves an indoor facility. Welcome to the 2021 NFL Draft. All right, so every year I like to predict who the Bengals are going to pick round by round and just positionally. Like I said, I'm not a college expert, but I always kind of have my pulse on the organization, you know, what they need. And let's see in another few days how how close I was to Mr. Tobin and Mr. Brown's thinking. Round one, wide receiver. I really think they're going to take Jamar Chase. Round two, if you take a wide receiver in the first, you have to take a lineman in the second. So I'm going to say offensive tackle in the second round. Third round, they're going to say, hey, we did spend the first pick on a wide receiver. We're going to take two offensive linemen. Guys, please do that. You'll really make me happy. Third round would be a guard. Then the fourth round, you start thinking about the defense, although I don't think you get great edge rushers in the fourth round. I know there's exceptions. I think they go for an edge-slash-defensive end type with the fourth pick. Fifth round, you go to linebacker. You need another one there. Maybe you get that thumper in the fifth round. Sixth round, wide receiver, because you need a couple new ones. Second pick in the sixth round, kicker, because there are a couple coming out this year that are supposed to be pretty special. And seventh round, that's where you get your running back, your speed back. That's a pass catcher. So one more time. Wide receiver, offensive tackle, guard, edge, linebacker, wide receiver, kicker, running back. Again, those are my predictions on what I think the Bengals are going to do. I would do it a little bit differently, but it's not my draft. And if they picked these eight picks, these positions, and they were all solid players, I would think it would be a good draft. 
The unofficial Bengals podcast presents the pre-draft roundtable with special guests Tom McLevy and Sands. All right, here we are with the unofficial Bengals podcast, our second roundtable. The first roundtable that we had was the most listened to episode on the unofficial Bengals podcast, so we had to do another one. It's called the pre-draft roundtable, and I'd like to welcome in Tom McLevy. Tom, how are you today? Good, guys. How you doing? All right, my friend, and I'd also like to welcome in Sands. Sands, how are you today? I'm doing great. Hope you guys are doing the same. All right, we got the, the Bengals army here. It's going to be a good one. So, you know what? Let's get right down to business. I'm going to ask you guys the first question, and I'll direct it towards Tom first. Tom, who's your choice for the Bengals' first-round pick, and why? Well, a lot of back and forth. As long as the mock drafts have been out, uh, you, you, you think this one way first, and then you start thinking, overthinking. And A month ago, uh, I reached out to Sands and said, I'm starting to agree with you your thoughts but the last week for how they address the offensive line in this off season there's no way they can not choose uh sewell i mean if he's not there then granted then it's you know it's open but i mean you take this guy and and you just plug him in you can't risk going into the second round hopefully this one a guy falls i know it's a deep draft but for offensive linemen but is he gonna pan out you know how many second round wide receivers have always worked out for the Bengals in the second round but offensive linemen we've had a a, a sketchy uh, pass so i'm saying go Sewell. sands what do you think so just picking between the two, I agree with Tom that I would also take Sewell. I think it's more rare to find a 320, 330-pound athlete like Sewell than it is to find a six foot, 200 athlete like Jamar. And if you look in the history of the draft, offensive tackles are a much safer bet within the first round, while wide receivers have been a bit more risky. And going off of what Tom said, not just the Bengals in the second round, but Across the NFL in the second round, Devontae Adams was a second-round pick. Michael Thomas was a second-round pick. Mm-hmm. And later, too, Stephon Diggs was a fifth-round pick. Uh, Tyreek Hill, other concerns, but he was like a fifth-round pick, too. So I think wide receiver can be found later. Yeah. Now, the thing is that I think we're taking Chase. So, And I support that because I think Chase is also an elite prospect. So I'm not against it. I think the one thing with taking Chase first is that if you miss on the offensive line in the second round – it becomes a lot more risky where it Sewell's not a, I don't know, 100% safe bet, but he's a pretty good bet at, that he's going to be a good player. Whereas the second round offensive tackle or guard center, whatever we take in the second round, it, it just goes down it decreases the chances and missing on a wide receiver versus missing on the offensive lineman. There's a bigger discrepancy towards what that'll do for the team. Well, I agree with you guys 100%, and I'm a Sewell guy as well, so it's not like we're going to have a big debate over who we want to choose first. But, you know, people have been really selling the Jamar Chase aspect, and, you know, I see what they're talking about because you almost look at it, I'm looking at it from an injury standpoint. Maybe I shouldn't be looking at it that way. But if we have, you know, the 30-year-old Riley Reef in there and Jonah Williams, who's yet to have a full season, one of those guys goes down, we don't have much depth behind them if we don't grab a tackle. But then almost the same thing. You go to wide receiver... And if Boyden Higgins goes down, we could be in a little bit of trouble there too. 
So I'm starting to understand the Jamar Chase argument, you know, in the chemistry with Burrow, the possible thinness at the position. But, you know, guys, I don't know if you can pass on a massive offensive lineman. Left tackles are so rare, and they say he's got great footwork. I mean, Sands, you're, you're an expert on offensive line. What do you think of his footwork and his pass blocking ability? I know he's mauling people in the run game, but you know, <laughs> overall, what do you think? Overall, I think he's fantastic. I mean, he's awesome. I've only really deep dive drafts like this this year but I mean he was far and away the best offensive lineman I mean it wasn't even close I even watched uh, the second best one Rashawn Slater and I was like man I mean Slater is also good in the pass game but then you just look at Sewell versus him in the run game and it's like Sewell could just move guys at will but yeah in the pass game specifically when people say he has bad technique I, I think that's too general he doesn't have bad technique I'd even say he has good technique especially his feet He's got a really nice kick slide. That's what you're going to use when you're getting into pass protection and your vertical set and your jump set. He's all three of those. His feet are fantastic. The one thing that I've noticed in the pass game is one, he plays a little over his toes. Sometimes he gets excited, tries to hit somebody hard and lunges and that can lead to a whiff. Not too much in passing. That's more of a run game thing. And I think his hands actually, his hands, he can miss his spots a little bit. Sometimes he will hit the middle or he'll hit the uh, inside shoulder pad with his outside hand. And that's, that's a losing rep and things like that. So he needs to get a little more consistent with that. But I mean, he was 19 years old, dominating competition. My view on it, we lost Joe Burrow in the middle of the season last year. He was on pace to become the most sacks in the NFL. Now, can you imagine if they took Chase, you know, number one, and tried a guy in the second round, tackle? You know damn well somebody's going to get hurt on that offensive line if it's Reef himself or if it's uh, Williams because he hasn't shown he can stay healthy yet. Can you imagine if Burrow goes down again? They'll be looking for Duke, Duke Tobin's head over all this. And plus, is it just the Burrow-Chase connection that's going off of this, or is he literally the number one wide receiver in the draft? So, like you say, I just can't see them passing on the, the lineman due to the fact that he's coming off an injury as it, as it is. And uh, you, gotta, you haven't de- really done anything in the offseason to protect them, unlike Kansas City, who comes off a Super Bowl and signs the best free agent in the draft uh, in the class, offensive lineman, and then they acquire a young tackle from Baltimore. But, you know, I just can't see them pass on, on Sewell. I do definitely think Jamar Chase is the best receiver in the draft. He was also okay. 19, 20 years old when he was doing what he did. Okay. And he has his own technical issues, but I agree with a lot of what you said, but I do think they're both clear-cut the number one offensive tackle and number one wide receiver in the draft. Yeah, and I think you guys both make a good point that, that taking Sewell is the safe pick and the less criticized pick because, you know, even if Sewell doesn't work out, it's like, hey, we, we tried to fix the line. Whereas if, um, you know, they don't take an offensive lineman to the first, that could be considered negligence a little bit. So, you know, let's, let's move on to the next question. And this is a big one. I'm going to give this one to Sands first. Sands, would you consider trading the pick? And if so, what would you want to receive back for that pick? My answer is, like, not really. But if either Detroit, somebody who's really close to us, 
tries to trade up and we just get like a second or second rounder or something. Maybe the Dolphins, I think they're at, they're at six. If the Dolphins want to trade up one pick and steal Chase from us or something, sure. But the answer is like, not really, because I think there's three elite prospects in this draft and then Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, and Penny Sewell. So I would trade down just enough so that I can still 100% get one of those players, like one or two, maybe three spots, but I wouldn't trade down to like 20 or something. It's just not, I don't think it ends up being worth it. You look at like what the Browns did that one time they traded out of getting Julio Jones, they got a ton of picks and they missed on all of them. And even if you hit on those guys and they're like mid-level starters, the Falcons got Julio Jones. Yeah. Right, yeah, one, and and that people have to understand that when they start thinking about getting multiple picks and other, you know, throwing in a third rounder and a fourth rounder and, and whatnot. You know, it's better to have one elite player than three mid, middle of the road players. That, I, you know, that's my opinion yep. on that. But, I hundred percent agree with you, Tom. What do you? What would you think? I know you're more of a front office guy than I am. Would you consider trading I, the pick? And if so, for what? I I totally agree with Sands. If it. Those three guys he mentioned, Pitts, Sewell, and Chase, they're the three guys. If, it, if you had to just trade down one or two, so you're going to get one of those players. Um, yes, but if not, these are generational-type players, these three guys. Um, and they can all help the Bengals. All right, so let's, let's play devil's advocate here. Say the Lions do want to trade with the Bengals and the Bengals are willing to do that, what would you feel would be fair compensation? You know, aside from swapping the five and the seven pick, what else do you think we would get? And and that's open to both of you guys. I I had to be a second round. I I, I, I think the same. Yeah, I think a second rounder. You know, maybe we could try to uh, talk him out of giving us Ragnar or something. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't happen. I don't think it would happen. But, you know, (laughs) ask. I mean, maybe they wanted to give us a second round and we have to send back a fifth or something. I'm not an expert, really, in trade value. I know there's a bunch of charts out there that'll give you numbers and stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I don't think I would want anything less than, like, a number one next year as well. I know that sounds crazy, but that's how adamant I am about not trading this pick. Hey, you want to move up to the five, that elite position? You know, give us a, a two or a three this year and a one next year. Again, probably not realistic, so that probably means that they're not going to trade the pick. And if you listen to Mr. Tobin, he's saying he doesn't want to get himself in the position to not take one of those premier players. So I, I don't think yeah. they're going to trade the pick either. All right. Um, you know, let's move on to the next question. And, Tom, I'll give this one to you first. <clears throat> Offensively, what would you like to see out of the draft? We all know what we all like at the top of the draft, but how are you feeling about the rest of it offensively? Solidify the offensive line. Now that you have Paul back, he can get in there and work with these guys to make a, a, a real good starting unit and get those uh, third, fourth, fifth rounders to really pan out and, and make contributions. You know, I, that's what I'm hoping for out of this draft, that we, we're, we get a lot stronger in the offensive line. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, Tom. I think... I think at this point they would need to draft at least two, maybe even three. So, Sands, obviously yeah. we all know offensive line is going to be a major thing in this draft. What other positions or what else do you feel that we should be doing here to, to fortify this team? Yeah, definitely offensive line. But 
You have to use at least one premium pick on that. If you don't use the, the number five, you have to use the number 38. I don't think, I don't care who falls. I think you've kind of pigeonholed yourself if you take Chase at five, or we have to take uh, offensive line at 38. Only other thing is, like, we do need more wide receiver, both depth and probably a third starter. I think Auden Tate's more of a fourth guy who can step in and give people a breather. I mean, we need a wide receiver, whether that's Chase, which I, I think it will be chase but i mean later there's diami brown and some guys like that and a guy with speed with chase pretty fast so he fits that too i wouldn't mind getting i don't know a fifth round or sixth round running back who does a really good job catching the ball because while p ryan can step in for geo and pass block he doesn't he's not a pass he's not a pass catcher really geo when he's in there you don't know if he's going to run on a route if he's going to get the ball if he's going to just set in pass protect with P Ryan, it's two options, and if it's third and long, it's one option. He's staying in the pass protector. Maybe you put him out on a little swing route, but he's not—he's not doing anything advanced. So I wouldn't hate that. I think Travion could do that too, but I mean, never a problem getting running back depth. It's a bloodbath of a position. Yeah, that's true because I think you can get a successful running back in the sixth round, seventh round, undrafted. You know, like most of those backs coming out of college are, are pretty good, and it's just a matter of getting them some blocking and. You know, if they pick up a, a speed back who can catch the ball, it doesn't really matter what round. He'll probably be able to contribute on some level. Sands, what about defensively? What would you like to see out of this draft? I'd like to see some pass rushers. I think almost every defensive line talent we've added. I guess Trey Hendrickson and Ogan Joe be a little bit more of pass rushers too. But, I mean, Mike Daniels and those guys, they're, they're run stoppers. Also defensively, I wouldn't mind probably another linebacker. I think we're set in the secondary with all the guys we signed. We, we signed Eli Apple. We signed another safety. So I think we're set there. But I think defensively you could add a pass rusher in the third or fourth round and maybe a late linebacker, although we have Marcus Bailey in that same role. But never a problem with competition. I mean, it's a late position. I think you get a guy defensively late, like one of these linebackers, they're also a guy that can contribute on special teams since we lost Seath and Carter and some guys like that. So something something like that. Not a ton defensively since we spent so much money on it. Yeah, I do agree with you there. Tom, how do you feel about us defensively in this draft? Not as, like like Sands says, uh, we could always use pass rushers. But after the first round, the, the known pass rushers will be gone and you're just going to have to hopefully lightning strikes. But free agency addressed defensive side of the ball. So um, draft will be, I think, looking towards the uh, offensive side of the ball. Like Sands says, a linebacker in the fourth round who's sitting there that could fit the Bengals scheme. Yeah, especially because we lost Josh Bynes, and I think he was our yeah. best run-stopping linebacker. And we haven't replaced him. I mean, we could just assume Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt will now be on the pe- on the uh, base downs, the rushing downs. But I wouldn't mind having another guy that's more of a run-stopper, which is usually not what you're looking for in a linebacker. Everybody wants the pass coverage guy, but I think we have two of those, maybe even three. Well, that's good. At least we have them. <laughs> years have gone like these guys can't cover tight ends for Christ's sakes. You know, I, I really love having you guys on because we're so like-minded, and I know you know it makes for good broadcasting. I guess if we were to you know have debates on these guys, but 
you know, the fact that you're seeing the, the things exactly like I'm seeing them, it, it reinforces, you know, my, my beliefs in this draft. And just to go back to what you guys said, yeah, we, we need another edge rusher. I mean, we need another defensive end. If you look, I know we have Hendrickson Hubbard. You, you know, behind that, you have Kareem and Bledsoe. So, you know, just on numbers alone, you're, you're going to need to pull in another defensive end somewhere. But now, again, my philosophies, you know, we're all thinking offensive line in the first, wide receiver in the second, or vice versa. And now we're looking at trying to fill in these edge rushers and linebackers in the later rounds. It's hard to get starters on, especially at edge in rounds three through seven. We may get lucky on a linebacker. And like you said, Sands, that's what I've been saying too. I think we need a thumper, what, is what I like to call it, at linebacker. You know, not this graceful athlete who can cover people all over, all over the field. Just kind of someone who can stand his ground in the middle and make the run game tough on opposing offenses. So, you know, with that said, maybe maybe we can get that linebacker there. But I'm not sure we're going to have any other starting level defenders um what what are your thoughts on that guys well i one one position you left out was uh interior defensive line the defensive tackle i think we could get a, a third fourth round defensive tackle that's what gino was and that's what uh echo was and the those guys there's there's good defensive tackles usually in the third and fourth round edge rusher i kind of agree with you although dunlap was a second round pick but i think he fell for some concerns about work ethic or something so yeah, he had concerns that knocked him down. I don't think there's anybody in this class that looks that talented that you can see has whatever concerns pulling them down. So I think uh, interior defensive lineman that can rush the pass. I don't care where the pass rush comes from. <laughs> I just think we need a little boost. Yeah, Sam, yeah, sure. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Tom, but that was the one yeah. thing. I, I'm always a fan of that, too. Like, get offensive linemen, get defensive linemen at any cost. You know, the more that you have, the better chances you have of someone who's going to be good. You know, I know Atkins was was a late-round guy, but I I almost thought that we were set at interior line with Reeder in there. Now Ogunjobi's here. Daniels is re-signed. You know, you have Wren and Tupo coming back. I know they're not really stars, but they could be role players. I almost felt like just because there were so many other needs that maybe we could maybe we could skip on that position, almost like we're doing at corner and safety. Because let's, let, let's admit, if there was a dynamite corner, that's also a good pick no matter where you get him, just like a left tackle. But I almost felt that our free agency forays have made it like, hey, maybe we don't need a, a defensive tackle. Um, what are your thoughts? Tom, I'm going to give that one over to you, Tom. What are you thinking on that? Well, like you say, that was a, not only I love the pickup of the Ogunjobi, but it was like it was just like reader. I mean, the same same type of uh, you know going taking a guy from that's a good defensive player and paying him in his prime, and so that lessened the the, the need for a defensive tackle. But like I always say, going into drafts, scout these guys and take the best players. You said earlier, Sands, you can find a wide receiver in a second, T. Higgins. Uh, you can find, and Burrow can make a receiver. Uh, that's what I'm saying, offensive line for it. So that second, second rounder now opens up that, okay, well, you know, here's a, a first round cornerback that just fell into the second round now. You know, so don't just be blinders on saying we need I we go offensive line we need a wide receiver in the second that's where you got to trust the, the the drafting of the team 
and you know my feeling on their drafting. Sands, uh, I'll give you a chance on that too because I know that you had the the opposing opinion on defensive tackle. Based on what I said, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I think DJ Reader and Mike Daniels are both more run stoppers, and we play that three, four, five, two, whatever you want to call it. So we have three starting defensive tackles now. So really, you name five guys, but I wouldn't mind being six deep there. And uh, Tupo, I think, is going to be a welcome addition. But with Ren, I mean, can we can we trust he's going to be healthy? Because it's been I two know. two years now. Uh, it's, yeah, it's tough. I mean, he's I don't think he's played a single game for us, has he? No, I don't think so. I don't. I don't. I, I if he did, it's very few. So it would be awesome if he contributes. But I think you almost have to consider that as he's here, but we wouldn't mind having a depth guy behind him. And you know, he was a fourth rounder, I believe, too. So I'm, you know, that shows you, you know, you can't always bank on those fourth round defensive players to pan out. And that also goes back to the point of Jonah Williams. You know, yeah, granted. That you know he missed his whole first season. Then he gained. Then he finally played this year, and then he missed towards the end of the year. So you know, if you got a guy who's injury prone, you can't. You have to have that in the back of your mind that, like, listen, can we really count on this guy? Yeah, that's and that brings me to the next point. I'm going to ask you guys this same question, but I'm going to give you what I feel would make this draft good for us and would, would make this draft bad for us. I think what would make it good is getting at least another really good starter on offensive line. I think what would make it bad is waiting until the second or third round to address offensive line, maybe not even addressing tackle because there's a great guard there, and then all of a sudden, you know, Jonah, you know, bangs up his shoulder again, and now you're looking at Fred Johnson or Adenogy coming in there. That's, yep. I, I really fear that. That's like a mirror image of last year. All right, so let me direct these questions to you. Sans, in, in a few sentences, what would make this draft a good one and what would make this draft a bad one? Similar to what you said, I think uh, it's a good one if we address offensive line, either whether we get a premium starter. It could be guard or tackle to me, but I do get the concerns with Jonah. Getting a premium starter at either 5 or 38. I don't think you can wait till 69 and try to get one there. What makes this draft a bad one is if we don't address the offensive line. I think I think there's just a slight concern that they might be looking at Frank Pollock as the savior. And, uh, I mean, you can only do so much. It's like if you're a computer expert and you walk in and the guy's got something with, like, Windows 96 set up on it until you yeah. start get to work. It's like, <laughs> he needs a little help. Yeah. Yeah, and I, was, I said it on Instagram that it's Frank Pollock isn't going to be the one blocking T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett. You know, let's be honest. I know he's a great coach, but... It's about the players as well. Tom, let me get that question over to you. What would make this draft a good one, and what would make this draft a bad one? Uh, what would make it a good draft for me is if they got aggressive and went up and started trading up to get guys, meaning to trade that second-round pick for uh, end of the first round. You know, don't just sit there and just wait to every draft pick and, oh, oh, it's our turn to choose. If you want somebody, go get them. I've, I've said this time and time again. This is why the Bengals always are second fiddle, because they're, they're not aggressive enough. Be aggressive in the draft. That would be a success for me, seeing that if they said, okay, or even, like you say, we want to move back into the second round. 
late in the second round, trade our third or fifth, come out of this draft with five great players, the guys you wanted, not the guys sitting there that you can choose from. That would make it great and uh, make it bad trading down. I, I think that would make it a bad one. They're out of position right now to capitalize on uh, Jill Burrow. And you got to do everything you can to win now while this guy's contract is is uh, affordable. You know, because what's excuse when, he, when he's winning? Oh, well, we got to pay him, so we can't afford any other positions. So do it now. Be aggressive now. Yeah, Tom, that's that's actually a good point that, that I didn't bring up is I think this draft would be a failure if we outsmarted ourselves, traded back, and then lost out on Pitts, Sewell, and Chase. I mean, that would be the ultimate nightmare scenario. Yeah. And I also agree with you, Tom, on trading up. Again, going to my philosophy, I don't really like those rounds three through seven. I've documented it on the podcast before. We haven't had a lot of successful picks there. And again, sometimes I, I, I go a little overboard with my opinions, but I would almost rather just have three starting level players and nothing else like we have eight picks fine give us three picks but just make those three in the first and second round come out with three good players I know we need depth on the team I know I'm you know people think I'm crazy for saying that and a lot of people say you build your team through the later rounds but my philosophy just give me three good players I don't even care about the other five we we have enough players on the roster right now Sands I know that's a a little bit crazy of a thought what's your opinion on that I don't mind trading up Assuming we take Chase, because I really do think that's happening. Yeah, if, if uh, one of your guys is, like, the guy you think is uh, round one talent, and it's, like, pick 30, pick 31, try to trade up. What I, I do fear, like Tom talked about, is trading down. It could work out, sure. But, I mean, look at what happened to us, the Drew Sample pick. We traded down because we were like, oh, we got a few guys on our board we'd like. They all go. <laughs> now, yeah. you, you're like, oh, oh crap. <laughs> can we trade down again? Can we can we do something? Not, I mean, once you trade down, you're basically stuck. So, I mean, that's what happens. So, uh, if we have two offensive tackles on the board at 38 after taking Chase, just take whichever one you have higher. Don't trade down and outsmart yourself. Lose both of them and then try to reach on somebody else. Yep. Let's move on to another topic. I'm just going to ask you guys some rapid-fire questions. This is more on the lighter side. You know, we, we did some pretty heavy-duty analysis on the draft just now. Glad to see we're all on the same page with it. So hopefully Mr. Tobin and Mr. Brown and Coach Taylor are all on the same page as us. And, you know, we'll, we'll be smiling come Sunday, May 1st. Um, all right, so rapid-fire questions. And we'll go Tom and Sands in that order just to make it easy. First question, Tom, give me a Bengals round one bust that really stung. Oh, Billy Price. You know, and and that goes with how they acquired Billy Price. The rumor was that they they wanted the guy who Detroit traded up right in front of the Bengals Mm -hmm. to get. Hopefully, you know, uh, the offensive line whisperer, Frank Pollock, will bring into uh, Billy Price again, but uh, that one, that one stung. Yeah, I, I, you know, he was hurt coming out of the combine too. I always get a little leery of that, and you know, it kind of made his career a little snake bitten in the early stages. Hopefully he can turn it around this year. Sands, first round draft pick that really stung you? Cedric Ugly, because we lost Andrew Whitworth over it. 
That's exactly. We're still playing. That's exactly <laughs> who I would have chosen. <laughs> but Ogbue, he got like another two million dollar contract from the Seahawks. I don't know what he's doing. I don't over get there. it. <laughs> he's yeah, those deals. And I was like. I don't get it. More than Mackenzie Alexander. Yeah, I know they're different positions, <laughs> but my, my boy Mackenzie only got like 1.1 and Ogbuehi, the two million deal. But Sands, that's exactly who I would say because let's take his career the first three years. Year one, he was basically out all year from, from recovering from the knee injury, had some special team snaps late. Year two, they put him in at right tackle and he really almost single-handedly destroyed our season. I know that's strong, but that's how I was feeling that year. He was a sieve there. And then it enabled them to say, hey, we don't need Whitworth anymore. We're going to move this guy over to left tackle. And he had a disastrous year at left tackle. So he set us back three years, really. Yeah, probably, probably more. Yeah. And Fisher. That was the same draft. And Fisher. After Fisher, the next round. Yeah, and yeah I, we, went, we went from one of the best offensive lines in the league to possibly the worst after they both took over. And they tried. Like, the, the Bengals management tried. They they tried to fix the problem. First rounder, second rounder, you know, on paper, aside from the Agwehi injury, you know, you were thinking, all right, you know, this is the smart thing to do. And, you know, you took one guy who was injured and, I don't know, just did not strong enough to play the position. I, I don't know what it was. And Fisher, I think, was a, a tight end early on that kind of bulked up and became a tackle. So, you know, maybe that led to him being not as effective as, you know, we're hoping that Sewell and those guys are. If Jonah Williams pans out, we've finally recovered from it. But, I mean, if he doesn't, I mean, we still haven't fixed tackle position. Yeah, it can show you. A couple first-round picks going the wrong way can really set you back. And, you know, we didn't mention John Ross in that equation. And it's it's really crazy when you hear everyone saying, the Bengals need someone to take the top off the defense. And we had John Ross, yeah. We thought we, we had it, but apparently we didn't. You know, I wasn't even a fan of Darquez Denard. I know he had some decent years with us, but he was also a liability at times. I'm not going to call him a total bust, but, you know, if you want to go back like the last decade or so, he wouldn't really be high on my list either. Next question, Tom. Will the Bengals draft a kicker, and would you draft a kicker? Seventh rounder, you'd have to go for. Kickers, I think you're, you're, there's, there's always somebody lurking around you can take. But uh, a seventh-round pick, yeah, I'd take a kicker. Sands, we're looking at Cyber as the only signed kicker on the roster. Will the Bengals draft a kicker? And, again, philosophically, would you draft a kicker if you were the general manager? Uh, I feel 50-50 on it. I'll say yeah. I also agree that seventh-rounders, I mean, they usually don't become quality starters unless they're a kicker or a punter. So, sure, try it. The only thing I don't want to do is have the same thing happen with Jake Elliott where – we drafted him, then we put him on the <laughs> yeah. practice squad, and somebody stole him. Now he's yeah. kicking for – he won a Super Bowl kicking for the Eagles, and we were with Randy Bullock. So. And you know what happened? And, yeah, and Jake Elliott had like the 62 or something yarder that season yeah. early, early on. It was like, wow, we could have had this guy with his leg. But, you know, I wanted us to keep Elliott at the time too, but Marvin Lewis said it was going to be an open competition, and whoever won the competition was going to start at kicker. And – Bullock did technically beat him out that training camp, so I think Marvin Lewis was in a position where he didn't want to go back on his word. He didn't want to, you know, he wanted to send a message to the team. Hey, everyone here has a chance if you can beat out the other guy. But um, I don't know. You guys are right. That was an, that was a situation where you almost throw your pride to the side and say, you know, we got we got to keep the younger guy here. All right. Uh, next question, Tom. How many quarterbacks are going to go with those first four picks? I think. 
Atlanta's going to trade out. I don't think they're going to take a quarterback because Matt Ryan, you know, with the money invested in him, if they keep the pick, I think it's going to be three. If they move the pick, then I could see four. Totally logical. Sands, what are your opinions on that? I've been leaning lately that I think there'll be four. I honestly have no idea what Atlanta does. They're the one that I don't know. But there's definitely three going. The Jets are going to take somebody. The Jacks are definitely taking Lawrence. I think they just basically admitted it like three months ago. San Francisco traded up, and if you trade up, you're probably taking a quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys there. And you know that... If four quarterbacks do go, now we, we get into a situation that we didn't even talk about earlier, and now you have Pitts floating around there. And truthfully, I mean, I'm going to lean towards Sewell as my choice, but if they grab Pitts, I would be ecstatic. What, what are your thoughts on, on that, guys? I thought Pitts was the best prospect I scouted. So, I mean, I'd, be, I'd love it. I also thought uh, we're, never, we're not taking this guy because we're not going to take a tight end that higher for whatever reason. I, I feel that if if you if your intention is to get Burrow another target, Pitts is the guy over Chase. But I still feel Sewell has to be the pick, though. Guys, this was another great roundtable, and you know we're going to be getting together after the draft to talk about who they picked. I want to thank you guys for some great input, and you know none of us pre-planned our answers, and all of our answers were kind of in lockstep with each other. So, you know, we, here's three good candidates for the Bengals front office in the future. <laughs> Sans, how do people find you on social media? Bengals underscore Sans on Twitter. Yeah, you're blowing up on Twitter, my friend. I love it. And, you know, you're blowing up for a good reason because you're, you're giving people valuable information. And, um, you know, Tom, I always appreciate your take on everything. The, the front office, you're not afraid to, to speak your mind on, on this stuff and you know, not afraid to point out some the things that you don't like. So it's always refreshing to have your takes as well. Happy to talk about the Bengals. We've gone through lean years, but hopefully this is a start for success finally. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome sports journalist Blake Jewell. All right, I'd like to welcome friend of the show, draft expert, host of the Who Day Talk podcast. This is Blake Jewell. Blake, how are you today? Doing good. How about yourself? All right, my friend. So what are your thoughts on the Bengals' picks in this draft? I know they have eight of them coming up. What are you feeling about it? I've kind of – I don't want to say I've been flipping for my uh, choice for fifth overall. My thought process has, been, has remained the same for the fifth pick the whole time, and that's – uh, Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase are both fantastic picks. Luckily for the Bengals, the draft, the way it's set up this year, the way the classes are, the wide receiver class is pretty good, and the offensive tackle class is uh, really good. So I think that either way you go, uh, you're going to be able to add someone valuable of the opposite position. So if they go Sewell, they're going to find a pretty solid receiver. If they go Chase, they're going to find a pretty solid tackle down the line. It's probably going to have to be early on, but I think either way they're going to be in good shape. In the last couple weeks, I think I've kind of narrowed it down to I think it's going to be Jamar Chase. I'm pretty sure of that. So I think fifth overall, I think it's going to be Jamar Chase if he's there. Pretty sure he will be. From there on, just kind of banking on, you know, what they're going to do after taking a receiver in round one. 
Yeah, you know what? I'm hearing that too. I'm hearing that they're going to go with Chase. So if they go Chase in the first round, who's your choice of tackle in, in the second round to, to try to kind of fix this offensive line? Well, my my favorite option, pick 38, uh, if he's there, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to tell at this point because I'm hearing or I'm seeing stuff about him going, you know, as high as like 23, 24, and then going, you know, even later in 38. But Alex Sutherwood from Alabama, he's got a, he's got some good upside. He's an offensive tackle. But the good thing about him, and this is another reason why I like him a lot at 38, and that's Bengals sign Riley Reed. He's probably going to most likely going to be at right tackle. I don't really see them moving him. And, you know, you got Jonah at left tackle. So uh, Leatherwood, while he's a tackle, he has experience playing right guard. He, he can definitely play uh, right guard. And I think uh, if you take Alex Leatherwood at 38, you can you can plug him in at right guard for a year, maybe two, uh, until, you know, they move on from Reef. Uh, I don't know when that will be, maybe – you know, a year or two. But uh, Leatherwood can be a right guard. I think he's, you know, one of the best players available at 38 if he's there. You can plug him in at right guard when Reef goes. You can bump him out to right tackle. I think he's a quality player. He can definitely start. He has good upside. And then some other uh, – I think at 38, it's going to have to be a tackle. I don't really like the guard value a whole lot. You know, you got maybe Landon Dickerson. He's probably my second option overall, but after that, it's mostly tackles. Dylan Rebounds is pretty good. Um, he can move into guard as well, you know, play right guard for a couple of years. Over the past uh, couple of weeks, I kind of said some things about Liam Eikenberg. I liked him a lot at 38. But I'm kind of moving off that now after his pro day. I'm not a big fan of his arm length. The type of player he is, he's, his footwork isn't great. He relies on his hands, his arms a lot. And with that arm length, I'm not too big of a fan of him there anymore. And then uh, there's going to be more options. Brady Christensen's really good. Jackson Carmen can move inside. My biggest issue with like going back to Redunds would be he's you know he's more of a tackle than the other guys. I don't really I don't like him moving as guard at guard as much as I like Carmen or Leatherwood. Uh, and I think he's going to take a little bit more time to develop coming from a small school. But I think that he would also be a good pick there. Maybe a little riskier than Leatherwood or Carmen. And then yeah, I think that's about it for tackles at uh at 38 i think my top one would be leatherwood and then you know Jalen mayfield if he's there as well another good one but yeah they're gonna have plenty of options i think i think the second round you're gonna be looking for a tackle that can move inside for a couple years or if someone like Landon dickerson's there that could work as well yeah i'll tell you i'm in camp sewell right now i really want to see them take him in the first round but if they took Chase, I'd be absolutely thrilled. And I saw an interview with Leatherwood on the NFL Network, and he was so likable. He looks like a man's man out there. So, you know, if it, if, if it ended up going Chase, Leatherwood, I think I'd be pretty happy with that as well. So ex- excellent ideas over there. What are you thinking about, you know, round three, round four, round five, kind of those crucial mid-rounds? What do you think they're going to do there? So I think, uh, you know, starting off at, in round three, I think Edge is going to be where you're going to have to – start taking uh, edge rushers. You know, the Bengals' pass rush was one of the worst in the league last year. Uh, they haven't done a whole lot. I think Hendrickson, they kind of they didn't, they didn't really gain anything as, as a pass rushing team this year. I think uh, Ogden Joby was a good signing. You lose Geno, I think I think it's a slight upgrade just based on what Geno did last year. Uh, Ogden Joby's younger. And then uh, Hendrickson, I don't think you're getting an upgrade over Lawson. I don't think you're going to, like, you're downgrading very much either. But you still need to have more edge rushers, pass rushers. If you don't add edge rushers, I think Peyton Turner could be there. He's a good one. Uh, Rashad Weaver, uh, Patrick Jones, uh, Shaka Tony, people like that in the third round be on the board if they want to go edge. But I think my number one overall 
pick if he's there, which I, I don't know that he will be. He's, his stock's going up. But defensive tackle, Milton Williams, uh, he's fantastic. Really good athlete. Played three tag, all that kind of all that kind of stuff. Perfect pick in the third round. I think, uh, as you said, Chase Leatherwood would be great. I think if you'd round out Milton Williams in the third year in phenomenal shape. And uh, you said, you know, you were, you were a Sewell guy. Receivers that could be there, you know, Dwayne Eskridge, Amir Smith-Marset, people like that. So there's definitely receivers on the board uh, as well, big as Sewell. And uh, kind of, I think these, the third and fourth round is where they should probably go uh, edge and de- defensive tackle, you know, back to back here. I think if you go Milton Williams in the third, you can go back to maybe a Quincy Roche or Ellison Smith, Amakar Rashid Jr. I think third and fourth round, you're going to have to get some pass rushers. And then on to the fifth round, uh, I think you go back to offense, get another offensive lineman, Kendrick Green from Illinois. He's a pretty solid guard. I would, I would very much consider him there. Drake Jackson from Kentucky. He's kind of fallen off my board a little bit, but I think if you're in, if you're in the fifth round and you're getting him, I think it's it's still a good pick. And then uh, Drew Dahlman from Stanford, another good one. Third, fourth, and fifth round, you're probably going to need two pass rushers, pass rushers and another offensive lineman in those rounds. And there's plenty to choose from. It's a good draft for those positions. What do you think in sixth, seventh round? You know, sixth, seventh, that's where you're going to try to look for the best players best players available could go after a corner maybe you're gonna need more depth there eventually uh cameron byron from california elijah griffin from usc diamador lenore from oregon those are all you know some corners that could be slipping down that far in the draft where they have some solid upside you can get them there maybe go linebacker even though they you know drafted three of them last year i think you can add some more and uh the late round you can get maybe justin hilliard or earl thompson so there's solid options at linebacker and safety is another position i'm, I'm really high on these late round uh defensive players i think that there's players um in the late rounds that are going to have some solid upside and there's some solid safeties there like uh richard the count from georgia he's pretty good i would I, I mean, if they can get him in the sixth round, that's a phenomenal pick. And then Edge, there's one guy that – there's two guys, actually, that are kind of floating around that range. That's Chris Rump from Duke and Malcolm Coombs from uh, Buffalo. So those two guys, that kind of rounds out for defense. I mean, you're going for best player available. But I think an underrated position that they're going to need to draft, and it's going to be kicker, Evan McPherson from Florida. He would be – on my boy, he's the best kicker available. So I think uh, in those rounds, you're going to be looking for, uh, you know, best player available. You're going to need to get a kicker. And then the last position, the last two positions, I think that they could target would be running back. You know, Bernard's gone. You could use a little bit more depth. And then receiver, I really like Trey Walker from uh, San Jose State. I think he's, if you draft Jamar Chase, you're getting faster uh, in your wide receiver group. But if you want to add more speed, there's some late round guys there that, can just bring more speed to that wide receiver group. Excellent analysis. You know, I'm, I'm in the same camp. Once you get to the 6th, 7th round, all bets are off. You get a corner there, you get a safety there, you get a linebacker there, a wide receiver, and like you said, a kicker. I think they're going to try to get a kicker in the 6th, 7th round this year, and at this point, after last year, I wouldn't mind that too much. All right, quick question for you. What's your favorite of the new uniforms, and if you're going to get one, what number is it going to be? Uh, my favorite, I like the I would say I like the white jersey the best, but in terms of like with the pants and everything, I think I like the white or the orange jersey with the white pants. I think that's my favorite combo. If I were going to get one, I think it would be number 30. 
Blake, how do people find you on social media? You can find me about anywhere uh, at Blake Jewel NFL, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode, we're going to go over the Bengals draft. We're going to analyze each one of the picks. Tom McLevy's going to stop in for another McLevy minute. And Sands is going to come by to give a deep dive into each one of the Bengals draft picks as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you guys should check out. And I'd also like to thank the ZDA Network, the network responsible for bringing you the unofficial Bengals podcast. You can find them at ZDA Network on Instagram or Twitter. And Zedia is just like the word media, only with a Z. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.